Hello and welcome. Are you looking for opportunities to grow your wealth? This is Wealth Talk. It's Friday, August the 14th. I'm John and with me right now is Simon and Alistair. Well, it's been a dramatic week in New Zealand, hasn't it? On Monday, we had a historic milestone, over 100 days with no community transmission. We were feeling safe, we were feeling comfortable, we were feeling relaxed. And then on Tuesday night, we had a twist. There was a rude awakening. COVID-19 is back. New infections are spreading in Auckland. How is it happening? We don't know yet, but alert levels have been raised and Auckland is back into lockdown again. We are in crisis mode again. Businesses are closed. Now, this is quite disappointing. I personally feel quite frustrated by it. It's quite a bit setback. Alistair, what are your feelings? What do you think will happen next? Well, John, I'm a little bit disappointed as many of us are. The country was already living on a tightrope in terms of our spending, keeping our costs to a minimum. We've already been given a hefty stimulus package, but the government can't just keep giving them out. All of this money has to be paid back within a matter of time. But I can say that Ashley Bloomfield and other politicians said that it's only a matter of when and be prepared if a second wave hits us again. And that's exactly what's happened. We've been hit again. Simon, I just want to come to you now. Um, Obviously, New Zealand is a country of small businesses. Most businesses have 20 employees or less. So there's a lot of pressure on them now. And, you know, wage subsidies are over. What do you think the financial impact on this is going to be? Well, here's the, th- the shocking thing, John. I mean, we went into this with too much capital already in the system and not enough opportunities to invest in. So what we were seeing before COVID was houses, rental properties, share prices were going up very, very fast. But that excess of capital is owned by a smaller group of people at the top for the bulk of people working, running small businesses, as you mentioned, they're not the ones with that capital and they are the ones that will suffer the most. So all that will happen is there'll be opportunities for richer people to deploy their capital, to take advantage of of bargain prices and low interest rates. And we will see at the end of this what we saw after the GFC, the rich get richer due to the opportunities and most people the poor and the middle class will continue to struggle and their struggles will be worse and that's really what the government has overlooked in this whole situation absolutely i mean already a lot of people the vast majority of the population they're living on a knife's edge isn't it it is a very stressful time And that's basically our theme today, what we'll be talking about. In this age of fear and disruption, investors are looking for safe haven assets. And that means going beyond the physical and exploring the virtual. Are cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin becoming digital gold? Is mainstream acceptance about to happen? And what are the benefits and the risks of this? We want to discuss the past, present, and future of cryptos and how digital currency might fit into your portfolio. Now, for our listeners, a disclaimer, 
This is just a general discussion about cryptocurrency. This is not personalized financial advice. Now, Simon, you actually worked in Jersey in the Channel Islands for a few years. And from what I've read, it's quite a fascinating place, isn't it? It's a self-governing territory, has very liberal tax policies, which is how it's become a financial haven. And in 2014, we actually had the first regulated Bitcoin investment fund in Jersey. And you were involved in that, Simon. How does that work? Uh, yes. Uh, so that fund was initially set up by a couple of ex-JP uh, Morgan oil traders. And they saw Bitcoin, at least in its early stages, a lot like oil was in the 1980s. Uh, volatile in terms of its price and not easily, well, not well understood. So they saw an opportunity to create a fund to uh, hold, invest and trade in Bitcoin. Now, in that offshore environment at the time, the, uh, the trusts and the family offices and the high net worth investors there were particularly looking for investment strategies that weren't correlated to the public markets, that weren't correlated to equity markets. So Bitcoin fit that very, very well in that it's an alternative asset and it doesn't seem to have any particular correlation with what's happening to, to share prices, say to the, the FTSE in London, for example. So in the first year, that fund returned 173% to investors. But ongoing in that environment, we struggled to market it. And the reason being is if you're a large family office or you know, you're running a, a family trust and there's 50 million pounds in capital or more, your main concern is not making 100% plus a year or even 20% plus a year. You're wanting even and managed returns. Uh, so they attracted some interest, but overall it, it failed to gain the traction they expected in that environment. But I think there's still an interesting point there that Bitcoin is an uncorrelated asset. It moves in a different direction. And, you know, it's an alternative. It could be a useful part of an overall investing strategy and portfolio. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Simon, that it's an uncorrelated asset wealth preservation as opposed to wealth growth. Alistair, I just want to move to you now. Now, obviously, historically, Bitcoin is the first crypto that was ever invented way back in 2009. That's 11 years now. And I mean, back then, it was treated as a sort of a speculative thing. No one completely understood the potential of it. Was it a phase? Was it a craze? But Alistair, you were an early investor in it. What attracted you to Bitcoin and crypto? What potential did you see in it? Well, John, what I think grabbed my attention about crypto in the early days, it was because of these reasons. Uh, one of them, when a person makes a cross-border payment by SWIFT, say from New Zealand to the United States, you have to wait usually four to 10 working days, plus there are hefty transaction fees. And on top of doing that, you have to fill out all the person's details like address and payment information to make the process even longer. Whereas if you make a payment via Bitcoin, the transaction fees are minimal 
and you can send it to any country around the entire world and all you need is the other person's Bitcoin address. Also, to add to that, you can't make SWIFT payments to every single country in the entire world. Some are governed with different laws and regulation which block this particular type of activity. Whereas Bitcoin is unregulated, it's decentralized, there is no government control. Everything on the Bitcoin network is anonymous. So with this being said, the fact that it is anonymous, this really attracts the attention for criminal activity, such as money laundering and paying for counterfeit goods around the net. And as much as we'd all like crime and criminal activity to completely evaporate, there are just some things which we can't stop. So Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies will all serve a place in the world for criminals as well as the honest, genuine people who are using it legitimately. Yeah, that's a fascinating point, Alistair. Bitcoin is unregulated, decentralized, anonymous, minimal government control. That makes it a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. I just want to move to you, Simon. Um, we all know that physical gold reached an all-time high this month. Um, it hit $2,000 an ounce. But the thing about gold is it offers no yield. And in terms of long-term performance, it's not great. Yet people are still obsessed about it. They're still interested in it. I'm just wondering whether cryptos could kind of offer a similar function. Could it be digital gold? It's a store of value, but it doesn't provide any yield. What do you think about that, Simon? Uh, yes, well, I just want to come to gold first. I mean, gold has cachet as the original backing for money. And at times when people feel that money's being printed, that there's widespread fear or panic, investors do often return to gold. And it, it protects your portfolio just as it works to protect and strengthen the economies of different countries. So, for instance, if you look at gold holdings around the world, the United States is by far the largest holder of gold, uh, storing over 8,000 tonnes. And that's followed by Germany with around 3,300 and Italy and France with around 2,500 each. So gold does have this kind of protection power as the original backing for money. Um, it kind of provides some economic strength. But coming to Bitcoin, Bitcoin has a benefit that goes beyond gold in that you can, you can use it it's you can you can spend bitcoin so in terms of a real panic situation i like to imagine the example that say you're in a large city that's about to get hit by a nuclear bomb and you want a pilot to fly you to safety perhaps to the south island of new zealand he's probably not going to take your gold bars but in such an environment he may well take your bitcoin because it's uh, it's tradable, it's it's usable. But then the flip side of that is, will Bitcoin be the enduring crypto coin? I mean, there are some problems with its speed of transaction. Is it the best use of the blockchain? And if you invest in Bitcoin, of course, the main risk is that another coin will overtake it, uh, provide a better faster solution and become more mainstream and that may work to constrain the value of your investment in that coin but at the moment it's it's a fast developing field and we don't know how it's going to go in 
you know, at the moment, Bitcoin is the front runner. Will that remain so? We'll, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see and watch. Yeah, really like your nuclear bomb example, Simon. Your apocalyptic example. I mean, Bitcoin does offer some advantages, but we just have to bear in mind it's relatively new. It's only been around eleven years. Now, Alistair, in this recession, crypto is proving resilient, and it is still evolving, still developing. Um, it's coming to be seen as a digital currency, medium of exchange. And Visa and MasterCard seem to be recognizing it as well. So do you think that mainstream acceptance of cryptocurrencies is finally about to happen? Yes, John. Every day we just seem to hear more information on how cryptocurrencies are becoming more mainstream. In fact, the important statement I would like to make, which recently happened, was Visa officially filed 24 blockchain patents along with Visa's vivid move MasterCard took the lead by filing for 80 blockchain patents. This to me seems like a huge leap forward for the crypto industry. Visa has a market cap of around $422 billion, whereas MasterCard on the other hand has a market cap of around $327 billion. But despite how big the company is in terms of market capitalization, Visa and MasterCard is used by hundreds of millions of people across the world every day in their day-to-day -day activities. And if they start introducing Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies into the Visa and MasterCard, making it become part of our day-to-day -day use, then that will hold a very promising future for the crypto itself. Yes, promising future indeed. Now, Simon, just want to give you a trivia question now. Let's just say you could only hold one asset class right now. What would that be for you? Would it be stock, cryptocurrency, physical gold, or cash? <laughs> well, that's not that trivial at all. If it come down to one financial asset, I would choose to hold stock in some great companies because when you hold that listed stock, you get the assets of the company, a share in those assets. So I'd be particularly looking for a company that has some good quality real estate assets. And you also get a share in a productive and profitable business, ideally. So I'd be looking for a company with a good business, with a moat around it. And I would then be looking to share in the revenue generated by that business through its earnings. The earnings growth should power the share price and through possible dividends, and also uh, having a share in those assets, which uh, in a growing economy should keep growing. So uh, that would be my, my chosen financial asset in that case, John. Yes, buying into good businesses, isn't it? And then sharing in the value and growth. Alistair, same question for you. Let's just say, for argument's sake, you could only hold one asset right now. What would that be? Stock, cryptocurrency, physical gold, or cash? John, that's a very interesting question you raise there. Fortunately, through this global pandemic, I have not been able to choose only one of them. This is because, but what I would probably choose for this uh, pandemic that we're in was a stock. And this is because this current recession that we're in is because of the COVID-19 outbreak. 
the government is pumping money into the economy and on top of that many companies are still able to work from home in some cases, some companies are doing well because of this recession like amazon and netflix for various reasons one of the reasons why amazon is doing well is because many people are moving more data to the cloud and making good use of amazon's web services and netflix on the other hand with many people are at home and in quarantine are looking for ways to entertain themselves so no doubt netflix would have a surge in subscriptions with this being said there's still lots of money floating around in the economy however if i was in a situation where we were in the global financial crisis when the banks were failing then i'd probably look at something like a bitcoin as a valued valuable digital asset that isn't regulated by any central authority yeah that's a very good point alistair which you got to be aware of the risks and the opportunities out there and be watchful of what's happening on the financial landscape both locally and abroad and qu quite interesting there to notice the uh, difference in target companies so alistair's a bit younger than me and he's obviously happier with uh with tech companies like like Amazon or, or Netflix, whereas you will have noted in my answer that I tended more towards companies owning uh, physical real estate. So that may well be due to uh, different ages, but interesting to note. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that there is some discussion, obviously, on the internet right now about the difference between boomer stocks and non-boomer stocks or boomer stocks and millennial stocks. And that's that comes down right to it. Now, fantastic. Thank you, Simon and Alistair, for your insights. It's really fascinating and it's good fun. Now, dear listeners, if you're new to Wealth Talk, please subscribe to our platform to get continued access to new podcast episodes. You can do this by going to our website at wealthmorning.com. This is your chance to tune in, listen and contribute to an exciting discussion that may make the biggest difference to your wealth. Okay, Simon Alistair, we're just wrapping up now. Thank you so much for the great conversation. We'll catch up again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.